gospel to me. It's the uh, first retreat I ever came to. And uh, I've thought a lot this weekend about that and how I felt in 1988 when I was here. And, and I remember my sponsor kept talking it up and, and saying how wonderful it would be and all this stuff. And I remember Saturday standing out there on that lawn and wishing that I wasn't here because I still wasn't sure that I wanted to be an alcoholic. And uh, it took me a long time after when I came here not to want to drink. But, um, you know, I've come back year after year. I took a sabbatical for a while. My, uh, my sponsor also reminds me of that. And I took a sabbatical and wasn't here a couple years. But, you know, I come back and, and there's so many people here. And I think that's what makes it even harder to stand up here and share with the people that you know, you know. But I was raised... Um, I was raised uh, down in the coal field, southern part of West Virginia, in uh, Boone County in a little town called Madison. And my dad was a coal miner, and uh, I was the baby of our family. Um, that did not make me special because uh, I was the 11th child. And uh, so they were, there was a lot of brothers and sisters older than me, and uh, there was seven years uh, difference between the 10th and the 11th child. So I never felt like I belonged in that family. I really always felt like a grandchild because there was 10 grandchildren my age or older. Um, it was always like they were a family and, and I wasn't a part. But the thing that I did in that town, my mom was a good Christian woman and, and uh, she taught us a lot of good morals. She, they were very strict with us. My father liked to drink. I don't know if he was an alcoholic. don't care if he was an alcoholic. But I know today the most important thing is that I know I'm an alcoholic. Um, alcohol was never setting out visibly in our home. My mom would have never had that. Um, but um, we knew not, it was just, and we were never told not to take a drink of Dad's Coke. We just knew it was unspoken words. We knew not to do that. Um, my older sisters, I was the seventh girl in a row, and my older sisters, they just kind of uh, set the example for me. And uh, I always wanted to be like them. I never wanted to be me. And there was something special about each one of them that I wanted to be like. I wanted to be like June because she was so pretty. And, and I wanted to be like Ethel because she had a lot of money. And I wanted to be like Vivian because she was very religious. And uh, so it, it made it very difficult. Growing up there, um, when I would go to school and, and the first few days of class, they would always say, uh, Oh, uh, I didn't know there was another Watson. Or, uh, oh, you're Vivian's sister. It was like I never had a name, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, and my sister set good examples for me, too. We went to church on Sunday just like we went to school on Monday. My mom, if she couldn't go, we went. Uh, she still sent us. And uh, I had my first drink of alcohol when I was um, 13 years old. And, uh, at that age, I was starting to do things that I shouldn't be doing. And we went up to this little town van, and I wasn't allowed up there. And we had a guy to go in the hut, and he brought out a black label. And we passed that around, and it, there wasn't a magical thing about it. I did not like the taste of it. Um, we all tasted it. We poured it out. But somewhere in my high school years, I learned to like beer a lot, and I could chug with the finest. The only thing is, is there was enough fear in my home that I knew that if, you know, I mean, my mom and dad just wouldn't put up with it. So I guess that's what kind of kept me straight. I always had to spend the night with somebody. Um, 
you know, I couldn't, I could never go home drunk. They're always, uh, they always told us, they said, you know, if you ever do anything to disgrace us, you'll never be able to come back in this house again. And I really believed that, you know. So, um, but anyway, I, I, that's when I really started drinking. My, my first husband, I was working in, um, uh, you all remember that, you're old enough, when there was a ticket booth out in front of the theater, and, and I, we all had to take her. All the Watson girls worked in the ticket booth, and it was my turn. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, um, so, uh, but he came by and hid one a case of beer off the tip board at Connie's place, and he asked me if I'd like to go out that night and drink it. And I did. And uh, so my life, when I, when I graduated, um, I graduated on Tuesday night, and on Thursday night I turned 18, and on Saturday night I had a big church wedding, and I married that guy. And uh, what I had picked up from my sisters uh, was that if you drank, you didn't go to church, because back then there was a lot of clubs. You had to belong to the owls club and and stuff like that you you know and i would watch them do this and then if you didn't then they drank if they went out and party they didn't seem to go to church on sunday morning so that's the way i decided to do it too and uh, right off my first anniversary i was rocking my first baby and in the next seven years i had three children uh, i loved being a mom i, I love my children and even though alcohol uh, came first in my life for a while, I, I didn't realize what I was doing to those kids. But I, I loved being a mom. And I think that kind of slowed my drinking down because I was in and out of the church. I, uh, we moved to St. Albans, and uh, we had been going to church. And this was kind of off and on, you know. And, and when we got to St. Albans, I tried to go to church, and it wasn't like the one I was raised in, so we joined the moose. And... Um, <laughs> And I, you know, and I would get drunk on occasions, and, and, um, but alcohol still hadn't become a problem in my life at that time. My husband was um, laid off from his job, and um, my, my second, my son was born, and he was about five months old, and we, he found work in Cincinnati. And um, so I was getting ready to leave. He had already gone out there, and uh, my mom and dad lived in Hurricane then at this time, and, and their preacher came down and said he wanted to talk to me. And I wasn't going to church that time, and he said, you know, Mary Catherine, and, uh, and my name is Mary Catherine, I, you know, it's still me. Um, but he said, the larger cities are the gateway to hell. Now, he said, when you leave here, <laughs> he said, I want you to find a church and be active in it. He said, you cry when the children are asleep and your husband is at work. He said, you have an obligation to go where he can provide for you. And so I did that. I left, and I did just what he told me to do, and I found the church. In the next five years, that was our life. Um, my husband became very uh, um, active in it. We were uh, substitute Christian parents in a Christian children's home. Uh, I taught Sunday school. I went to this town, and the neatest thing about this town is that I could have my own identity. I was not June's sister, John's sister. I was just Mary Catherine, and I was a brownie leader. I was a Sunday school teacher. I was active in PTA. And um, this, less, this thing that happened to me here in life, I, I carry this into Alcoholics Anonymous too. Um, our church split. And I made the decision that I could teach my children at home. And so um, that I didn't need the organization. And uh, my ex-husband always liked a good cold beer. And it wasn't long until beer showed up. 
And I just threw a fit. I said, the kids have never been exposed to this. And uh, so, um, but one Saturday night, he said to me, he said, the kids are in bed. Why don't you just have a beer with me? He said, one won't hurt you. Um, and I did. And I don't know how many I drank. But I can tell you from that night, something happened to me. And I drank. I became a daily drinker very quick. In the next 15 months, alcohol helped me to make some decisions in my life. And one of those decisions that he was not the father that I wanted to be for my children. He left. I divorced him. I had become a daily drinker. And uh, um, so I stayed in Cincinnati with those three kids, and I worked. And, I, you know, you would have drank, too, if you had three little kids, and, and you had to work. And I had a little business out there, a ceramic business, and those women drove me crazy. And you'd drink, too, you know. And uh, so I always had an excuse. Uh, unbeknownst to me, one of my friends had called Susie, and Susie's my niece that uh, she was born May the 3rd, and I was born May the 25th, and, and she's been very special to me. Susie has done her life like I had intended to do mine, and she stuck by me, and she stuck by me to the very end. But one of my friends called her and told her that they thought I had a drinking problem, and, uh, and, and she was amazed. She could not believe it either, and she wasn't out there to see me drink like that, but she would call me and give me these little sermons, you know, and, and I would tell her, you know, that things were really okay, you know, and I just had so much stress on me. What I decided to do... What actually happened in that town that we lived in, that little town of Milford, was everything, every example, good example that I had set there disappeared. I no longer participated with my children in any way. I became a very dishonest person. Uh, I was even dishonest to my neighbors. Uh, if, if their husband was somebody that I thought, you know, might like me better than them, you know, I, I mean, every good and moral thing that my blessed mother had ever taught me left. And uh, so after things got so bad out there and uh, that I couldn't take it anymore, you know, I just decided that if I just moved out of that town, that things would be better. So the courts had given me the house to live in for like 10 years, and I called my ex-husband and asked him if I could come back home, and, and he said, uh, you know, that I could, and I put the house on the market, and I knew this was the answer for me. And uh, in this process, he had the opportunity, he told me, to buy that business that had laid him off. And... Uh, and see, I always wanted to be somebody, too. You know, I always thought that if I had a big house and a big car and, and I dressed nice, you know, the very things that we're very intimidated by, that it would make me okay inside. Never in my life, until I did a fourth and fifth step in Alcoholics Anonymous, did I ever look inside of me. Never. I was always external. I was always a wannabe. I always wanted to be like my sisters. I always, I'd find something in you that I liked that I wanted to be like. And... Uh, so I came back home, and uh, in the process of moving back home, we decided to remarry. And uh, I, when, we, uh, when I first was asked to give a lead early in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I would tell you that that was the worst mistake I ever made in my life. Now, I'm here to be honest today and tell you it's the worst mistake that man ever made in his life. Uh, <laughs> I came back and I was a daily drinker, but he thought it would change too, and I thought it would change too. And we bought that business, and I was really going to be somebody. And uh, the, the way it worked was uh, uh, I would go to work in the mornings, and at first I did go to work in the mornings. And uh, 
And then I'd come in and I'd start drinking. And uh, he would get on to me about my drinking. He would just get in my way, you know. And so what I would do, I would take it for so long, and he always referred to it as my mini vacations. <laughs> and I would start, you know, an argument, and it didn't matter. It might be in the afternoon. It might be at midnight at night. But I'd had it up to here with him counting my beer or counting my, how many glasses of wine or bottles of wine I'd drink, and I'd leave. And so what I'd do is I would do one of two things. I would either go to Susie's, and Susie's husband's a deacon in the church, and they were very good to me. And he asked her very kindly. He told her, he said, she can come anytime she wants to. I just don't want her out here drinking. And I did not pay attention to that. I would pull in out there at any hour of the night. She'd go out and get my car out of the road, and she'd pop me popcorn and try to sober me up. Or I, I would go to a motel. And I'd check into a motel, and I'd have all this stuff to drink. And I can remember sitting in these, and I didn't check in the Marriott either. I, uh, my job right now takes me by a motel that I used to check in from time to time, and uh, it, it's a gentle reminder that I never want to go back. And uh, they, uh, they, they weren't clean. And I would check in, and I'd take all this, and I was a real wineette. I liked vodka, but vodka did a number on me. Vodka... Vodka made me break the pictures on my walls and things. And uh, so, uh, and besides that, I felt like wine and beer, you wouldn't be an alcoholic anyway. And I'm telling you something, I can get as drunk on beer as anybody can anything else, let me tell you. But I'd take all these booze in the, in the room, and, and I would drink myself to total insanity. Not one person would say, are you opening another one? You poured another one? You know, and it was wonderful. Except I had to wake up. You know, I had someday I had to come to... And then the guilt and the remorse and the shame would set in. And, you know, it, it's a little different when Dad comes in and then when Mom, you know, the kids kind of look to Mom for their, their strength. And, and I would go in and I'd see these bewildered looks on my three little kids' face. And at first they would say, Mom, where you been? And I'd make up something, you know. And, uh, but then it got to the point that they quit asking. They just had this bewildered look on their face and this... <laughs> scared look and uh, uh, they quit asking uh, I kept thinking that things would change if that business would ever just grow and turn around and we didn't have to work so hard because you'd drink too if you had my problems and uh, lo and behold we landed a big contract and I thought that was the answer we bought the house we bought the car now I didn't have a lot of money I don't want you to think that I don't give you that I mean, but we just could pay our bills, you know. We became like other people because we weren't even able to, to do that. And, um, but anyway, and I, and I knew things were going to change then, and they did. I quit going to work. Uh, I, I went in later. He fired me a thousand times, and the only reason he couldn't get rid of me is because my name was on everything in that business. Um, my goal starting with that business was to get that one going and then to start buying up little businesses, little printing companies in town. And uh, he came in one evening, and, and I can remember, you know, they talk about these moments of clarity. And he came in one evening, and he said, uh, we have an opportunity to buy a, a little quick print up on Courier Street. And I knew in my heart that there wasn't another. I, I couldn't do it. And I said, I, I don't want any part of it. And uh, because, you see, I couldn't stand, I couldn't keep my word, and I couldn't, I couldn't stand for what I really felt because I always drank and forgot what I said. I was the person in the bank 
signing the papers on that next business, and he was on the golf course. And he bought that little business, and I think it was because I had decided that we had teetotalers that worked for us. We had wonderful people that worked for us. And uh, I had decided that I was just going to, if they couldn't accept me the way I was, and the way I was was somebody who drank during the day if I wanted to drink, and so I started taking my bottle to work. And I poured a glass of wine and sat right there at my desk. And uh, so he bought this business, and now I know his ulterior motive. You know, he, now I was first person transferred. And, uh, and I was up there in this little business, and, and I thought, um, well, this, you know, this isn't so bad after all. Now I don't have to look at him every day. But he had a, had a way of coming in every morning, and he'd walk by me, and he'd say, gee, how much did you drink last night? You still smell. You know, I thought I had to put up with this. And so I just, they opened this little place down the, at the end of the block called Abdu's. And I, fe- I would feel so bad. I hired my sister to go in there and work for a while just so I could get in there about 11 or 12 o'clock, you know. And uh, I would go in feeling so bad. My daughter worked for me, and you could just see the sadness on her face. And she'd say, Mom, you want me to go get you some tea? I couldn't hold anything down. Um, so what I decided, my pre- I had a girl that ran the press, and she loved to drink. And so I, I, um, I just would go down to Abdu's, and I'd buy some... Uh, uh, beers and put it in the refrigerator and and one afternoon he came in and I'm telling you one thing he really he came in and the press girls back there were running a press with beer open and I'm sitting in the, right behind the frosted glass with the beer open and, and we we're having a ball and uh, I thought he was going to close it down that day he told me that I, you know and I knew he meant what he said too <laughs> so that didn't work so I just quit going to work and uh, every now and then I would go in maybe two or three hours in the afternoon. Uh, alcohol really stripped me of all my morals. You know, I, I'm glad that it tells us that we tell our story in a general way because I soon began to go to those hotels not alone. And I disgraced my husband. I embarrassed him. I humiliated him. Um, I, um, we... Uh, after I decided that I wasn't going to work anymore, he came up, and I would just go in, like I say, for two or three hours. He, he came to me and he told me, he said, Mary, he said, um, if you don't quit drinking after Christmas, he said, I'm going to leave. And I thought, well, thank God. Now I can get everything straightened up, you know. I really believe that in my heart, too. And I thought if he'd just get out of my life, he, I drank at him. I really felt like I just drank at him. And so he did just what he said he was going to do. He, uh, he moved out in January. And I can tell you something. It, it says right in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the curtain went wide open. Then I didn't have to take my coat off to get a drink when I went in if I did go to work. I drank almost daily, almost daily. The days I didn't drink were only the days that I was so sick I couldn't. And um, my kids, um, my son was a real good basketball player. And he finished Lincoln that year, high score of the year. And I can remember, I, couldn't, I wouldn't humiliate the kids. I, um, I knew that they were embarrassed when I was drinking. And so um, I never saw him play a game. Some of the things that alcohol took away from me, it's kind of like the things that, alcohols, uh, that being Alcoholics Anonymous has given back to me. They aren't things that you buy with money. You know, they, the things that I have got in this program, you couldn't put a price tag on them. But alcohol took some of those things, too. I never saw my son play a game. 
uh, that year. And, and I remember the last game, the next door neighbor, and, and I'm sure she knew I had a problem. She told me one time, she said, you only come out in the spring. <laughs> and I'd been there five years. <laughs> uh, so she called me one evening and she said, Mary, she said, Chad's done so good in basketball. She said, uh, uh, I'll take you to the, me, uh, to the game this evening. But you know, I'd already, I'd already had a drink and, I, and uh, there was no way I would go. I never saw him play. My daughter, she danced and, uh, and she was really good. She danced in national, um, the national showstoppers down in Myrtle Beach and down in... And uh, I would take her and she'd say, Mom, please, will you go in and watch me this evening? But I always had a glass set between my legs and I wouldn't go in and humiliate her. And those are the things that I could never buy back. I know today that uh, uh, I have got a daily reprieve where I can give back to my kids some of those things. And I've got my grandchildren now that never have to see me drunk as long as I work the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I was laying home in bed one day and uh, I, I truly, you know, I was, I had give up hope. I knew, I had conceded to my innermost self that I was going to die drunk. Uh, my, my family, uh, I had one sister and, and uh, one brother that still spoke to me, and uh, uh, and I didn't care, you know. I tell you, I didn't care. Uh, but anyway, I uh, I was laying in bed one day, and my phone rang, and and I told you when we went to Cincinnati, we uh, uh, went to church, and uh, we had this. We were friends with this couple, and. Uh, they were, we met him in the church pew, but they left church too. And then we, after we moved to Charleston, would go down on New Year's and drink and have a good time. Randy loved to drink, and he was a blast. Well, he called me one morning about 11:30, and and he asked me. I hadn't heard from him for a long time, and he said, uh, he said, what's going on? And I said, well, not much. He said, well, Kathy and I are getting a divorce. And I said, getting a divorce? And he said, yeah. She said, uh, Randy, if you don't quit drinking, he said, uh, I'm gonna divorce you. He said, I told her she might as well get a divorce because I ain't never going to quit drinking. And she did. And I, we just had the biggest conversation because I said, Butch moved out in January. And he thinks he's going to dominate me with this too. And I'm laying in bed sicker than a dog. And uh, so I didn't hear from Randy anymore for till October. And uh, uh, he called me one evening. Now my daughter, my oldest daughter, was getting ready to have our first grandchild. And she had asked me over and over, Mom, please, um, please go and hear the heartbeat. Now, I used to work for this doctor when I first came back to town. And uh, I could never get up and make that visit with her. And uh, she said, uh, but I knew, I knew that when that baby was born, she was not going to let me around it. I just knew that. Uh, when I, my husband and I, ex-husband and I were married, his mom and dad drank. And I could remember those very feelings of not wanting her to touch Nikki when she was little and they were drinking. And I, I remembered that. Um, anyway, I heard from Randy in October and he called me and he said to me, he said, you know, Mary, he said, I think I found a way to stay sober. And I said, how's that? He said, I've been going to Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, oh, really? What's that? He said, well, I said, well, you do. Because, you see, if you took alcohol out of me, I wanted you to put something back, back in me to fix me, you know. That was really kind of the only thing that held me together. He said, um, he said you go to meetings, you read the big book, and you ask God for help. <laughs> and I said, Randy, do you actually think God would help me? And he said, Mary, God didn't move, you did. 
And I'm on the other end of this phone, kind of looking like, you know, this guy's gone wacko. And he didn't drink like me, you know. And, uh, and I thanked him for his information. And, and I'd heard of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know what you, I thought maybe you learned to drink here. And I really hoped that in the very beginning. Well, he kept calling me, and I kept drinking. And, and, uh, but, you know, he never gave up. And uh, things, got, were, things were just bad. I mean, you know, you've been there. If, you've, if you're an alcoholic in my life, you know. I mean, there was nothing left. I had no family really left. My kids were scared to death. I, um, I was at work one afternoon, and, um, and this was, I think, in February. And there was a guy that's sitting in this room that came into uh, the printing company, and he had this little brochure pamphlet, and it said um, 15 points for an alcoholic to consider when confronted with taking a drink. He asked me if I could print those, and, and I told him we could, and, and I took the job back and put it on the typesetter, and when nobody was looking, I took that to the copier, and I copied it, and I put it, stuffed it in my purse. And when I went home that evening, I did the same thing I always did, and, and I got that out. Now, I, I didn't remember what it said, but I picked up the phone and I called Randy. And when, Rand, when I said, hi, Randy, he said, uh, well, Mary, he said, I hadn't prayed for you and Butch and the kids for a long time. And he said, I prayed for you all tonight. And I said, um, you know, he kept trying to get me to come down. He had, um, wanted to buy me a plane ticket. And I said, um, you know, I think I'm going to take you up on coming down. I said, um, he said, um, I said, I just want you to know something that I can't not, not drink. I mean, I just can't do it. He said, that's okay. He said, that's okay. He said, you just get, a, you just get down here. He said, I'll take you to a meeting. And uh, he said, if you, here's the way we'll do it. He said, if you can't drink, he said, you can drink all you want. He said, you can hook a hose up to the bottle if you need to. Now, he said, the only time that you cannot drink is when we go to a meeting. And if you can't make it to a meeting, We'll keep it in the truck, and you can go out and get your drink. And yet it made it okay for me. Yeah, so uh, it was a process of getting me to Nashville, though. Here was what I thought. I thought I'll fly to Nashville, get healed, come home, and it'll be okay, you know? And so and I, one thing that was of paramount importance was that nobody knew that I was going to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I told two people, my oldest daughter, who had to watch my two younger ones, and Susie. And because Susie had spent many nights, one night she called me and I was just real, I called her, I called her at every hour of the night. And, uh, and she had told me, she saw in the paper, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I said, oh, I'll, I'll give them a call sometime. She said, I got the number right now. And, uh, and I did call that night, and that guy didn't call me back quick enough. <laughs> and, uh, I've always thought it was somebody that was in our home group there. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, but anyway, I uh, was going to leave on Monday and I couldn't get my ticket. I wasn't able to get up there and I was going to leave on Wednesday and I, I had to get my ticket the day before and I couldn't get there. And finally my daughter, uh, she cried and begged and begged and begged and she said, please let dad, because she called Thursday and I had to pick the ticket up 24 hours ahead of time. She said, please let dad go get that ticket. And, and I finally did. I let him go. And we went up to the airport. She came up to pick me up, and I was drinking. And 
And she said, Mom, I don't believe that you're standing there with a drink and you're going to go to Nashville to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, do you think I'm going to get on that airplane without a drink? You know, I mean, I was just that. I wasn't going to do anything without a drink. We got up to the airport, and this is exactly the way I felt inside. When they called my flight, I looked over, and there was tears just running down her cheek. And I walked over, and very callously, I put my arms around her. And I said, don't expect a miracle. They don't happen anymore. And I really believed that. I mean, I was totally gutted inside. I had lost every bit of self-respect. I had lost respect for the people around me. Alcohol had totally stripped me. I drank my way to Nashville. I had a nice layover in Charlotte. And I knew Randy said he didn't care. And I got off that plane. He took me immediately and fed me. And we went to a meeting. When he pulled up in front of that church, I was devastated. I said, what in the world are we doing? He said, now, don't get excited. He said, we're not going to church. He said, this, we just meet in the church. So I walked in, and as soon as I walked in, and I've always been a back pew person. I'm telling you all, I'm not an upfront person. <laughs> and I hit that first seat right there at the door, and he grabbed me by the shirt and said, get up and get up front. I said, that's where the people that sit that come to get their operators back. Did you come to get sober? And I got up and went up. And I can tell you something that there was just, I can remember the slogans. The slogans have always been special to me because it was the first thing that I could actually remember and remember, you know, to talk about. I mean, it just, um, they were very special. I remember looking up there and seeing let go and let God. And I came back, I, said, I called Susie and I said, Susie, they had a slogan up there. And I said, it had God on it, let go and let God. She said, that's good. <laughs> but... Um, in that meeting that night, there was all, all different kinds of people, and, and that's the beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, there was a guy sitting there with bib overalls. There was a guy with a tie, you know, and each one of them seemed to tell me a little bit about the way I felt inside and, and about my life. I um, um, went the next night. He let me drink, and the next night he took me to a speaker meeting. And I'll be darned if her name wasn't Mary and she didn't get up there and talk about how she drank at her husband. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it was just, that was okay. And, you know, Randy told me when I was leaving the next morning, and he said to me, he said, you know, he said, I want you just to promise me one thing. He said, promise me you'll make contact with Alcoholics Anonymous when you get back to Charleston. And, uh, and I sat there a little bit, and he said, you promise me? And I said, I promise you. And I got on the plane, and, and I thought I was healed. I came home. I got all of my uh, books out. He had me a big book and all the literature. And I got it out and flashed it around in front of my kids and, and my daughter. And, and I thought I was healed till about 6 o'clock that evening. And I, um, I left. I did my thing. And, um, you know, I left, and, and, and I started drinking. And that, I was starting my last drunk. And I've always been told if you can't remember your last drunk in Alcoholics Anonymous, you probably hadn't had it. But I started drinking on Sunday night, and I didn't work a day that week. That wasn't uncommon for me. But I, um, and I, I can remember sitting on the bed, and I spent a lot of hours when I was drinking sitting on the end of my bed, because if you look out my bedroom window at the time, you could see this old farm and this old barn that's fallen down. 
And I would sit there and I'd think, I wish I was different. I wish I could be like other people, you know? And I never seemed to fit in anywhere. And now it seemed like alcohol was turning on me. And, uh, and I sat there and drank that morning. And, and I, I remembered the promise that I'd made to um, Randy. And so I called the answering service. And I'll never forget that answering service called me back. And they said, I can't locate anybody right now. And I said, oh, that's okay. I said, I'm not in no hurry. You know? You know, she said, at 5 o'clock this evening, somebody will call you. And uh, at 5 o'clock that evening, I, sure enough, I got a call. And it was from my, uh, the lady who was to be my sponsor. And for the first time in my life, somebody spoke to me, and they said, I understand. And they, she shared with me some of the things that had happened in her life. That, you know, I, and it, it was a, you know, all my family, they really wanted to help me. But they didn't know how. And I couldn't hear them, and I couldn't listen to them. And what they wanted me to do is just quit drinking. But this lady understood. She knew what it was like to crave a drink of alcohol. I, um, she asked me if I would meet her and another guy uh, the next day at um, General Seafood. If I could have got a hold of either one of them, I would not have met them the next day. I did not feel well the next morning. And I'd put my hose on lay across the bed. And I'd put my sweater on lay across the bed. And when I walked in there, I was shaking. I was shaking more then, I'm telling you, than when I was when I got up here this morning. I mean, I was visibly shaking. And, uh, and they said some things to me that um, I, I got tickled. He made the comment. He said, I always felt like something wasn't quite right in that print shop. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, and they brought me a living sober book, and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we talked. And they were coming to Cedar Lakes. And uh, uh, she told me she'd call me when they got back. And, uh, and I left there, and I immediately went to the dog track where I did a lot of drinking. And, and uh, I, I drank. I'll never forget that particular evening. I came in just bombed, and I called Susie, as I often did. And, and I told her she had to come and get me, that I'd gone to Nashville, I'd tried Alcoholics Anonymous, and I wanted to do better, and here I am just crying and drunk. And she said, uh, now you know what Gary said, he doesn't want you out here when you're drinking. And I'm crying and begging, and she said, well, let me get off here and talk to Gary. So uh, she got off there, and, and uh, uh, she said she talked to Gary, and she said, that Gary said, no. No, I don't want her out here like that. And she said, I looked at him and said, but for the grace of God, it could be us. And he was a good Christian. I mean, he is a wonderful Christian person. And uh, she said, uh, I turned around and said, Gary, what, you know, what do you think Jesus would do? And she said, I turned around, went back to the washer, and said, a few minutes he came back, and he said, go get her. She called the house, and I'd passed out, and they couldn't get me awake. And they'd had this big argument over me coming out there. Susie said, I said, Chad, you better wake her, your mother up. He said, she won't wake up. <laughs> well, she didn't have to come get me that evening. Anyway, uh, I, you, all, you know, everybody went to Cedar Lakes. But I want to tell you, on Friday night, when I, uh, I went to bed that night, I passed out with a, a full glass of wine sitting by my bed. And when I got up that morning, I thought about some of the things that had been said to me. And I was going to try not to drink that day. And, uh, and, and uh, Grace had told me 
you know, that if I would use honey and orange juice, I hate honey, and I still hate it. And uh, they went and got me some honey and, and some orange juice, and, and I, I just did not, I didn't know what I was going to do that day, so I didn't get dressed or anything. But you know, I mean, God was working in my life when I didn't even have any, a clue that he was working. For some reason, Grace had begged me to come to the Monday night meeting, and I thought that if I could just say I'd been sober, you know. She called me on Sunday evening, and on Monday, I went to that meeting. The hardest thing I've ever done in my life, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, was to turn that knob. Because how could a Watson, you know, they'd all been nice, all my brothers and sisters had been nice people. They'd all been well-respected in that town. And I felt like that this was just the lowest blow that could be coming to anybody. Um, I came to that Monday night meeting, and um, and I'm grateful that uh, my home group's a traditional group. I'm grateful that when I walked in there, that they were talking about recovery, that they were they shared with me the ways that they had stayed away from a drink one day at a time. You know, Grace asked me. She said, "Can you not take a drink for 24 hours?" And I said, "I don't know. I don't know that." She said, "Well, that's okay." She said, J "Then just ask God for help for an hour." And there was many times in my early sobriety, an hour at a time, I stayed sober just by asking God for help. There's a lot of people in my home group sitting here this morning. And I think it's always harder when you talk, when you know some people. There's been people here that's been here since 1988. It's absolutely. But I, if I, I, I've always heard Al say this, and it's really true. If I had made a list of what I wanted before I turned that doorknob and walked in there, I would have shortchanged myself. Some of the things, I, the things I wanted were all external. I wanted all that fixed. They, were ta they talk about the steps, talked about the traditions. They talked about service. And I was told that it took all of that to keep me sober. Um, I looked at the first three steps, and I thought, that's simple enough. You know, I've been raised in the church. I want to tell you, those first three steps were, the first step was the hardest for me. Because I can remember we had Jerry that came to our meeting, and Jerry went to, um, I didn't go to treatment, and Jerry went to treatment. And we'd sit there, and Jerry would say, I don't even have a desire for a drink today. And I'd be sitting there on my hands, and I'd think, God, if I'd only went to treatment, I probably wouldn't be going through this. <laughs> and, uh, but um, anyway, one day at a time, um, you know, it, it, my first three years in sobriety weren't easy. Because, you see, as long as I was drinking, my ex-husband just stayed away. You know, he didn't bother me. And uh, when I sobered up, I guess he expected me to change pretty quick. And I was told that not to make any major changes in my life. He lived up on the hill. I lived in the house. I was in a, a relationship that I should not be in. And so they told me not to make any big changes, so I took that literally. And my husband didn't like that too well. And uh, I, um, I was eight months, about eight, well, we were here in, in October and in November. Um, I filed for divorce only because he was going to file for divorce. I was scared to death. And uh, I remember Grace and Al took me, and Al didn't allow smoking in his car, only at a funeral. <laughs> he said, in the ashtrays under the seat, this is almost like a funeral. Oh. <laughs> uh, I would have never got through those next three years without the, the, the love and support of people just like you. 
we, we had to go to 50 finals. It took three and a half years to get that divorce settled. I had made, you know, he was very vengeful. And, uh, <laughs> very vengeful. <laughs> and, uh, he, he, he was, it was payback time. And I knew that a lot of those things that I went through, not at the time, not at the time, I cried to everybody. One night I was in a meeting and I was all broken and everything. And I'll never forget Downey come over to me after the meeting. He said, boy, you're really hurting, aren't you, girl? And I said, yes. And he said, good. <laughs> he said, you're growing. And, uh, when I look back on that, I absolutely know that I, those were the times that, that if I could get through those times without taking a drink, you know. I, um, in, I've been fortunate. I mean, alcohol, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the path that it has brought me down has been just something that I never dreamed of. I have learned to accept people where they are and who they are instead of trying to change them. Uh, four years ago, we was, I was here at Bluestone, and a, a guy who had been coming to Bluestone ever since I have, he asked me for a date. And, uh, and we went out on Wednesday night, and, uh, and Doug and I married three and a half years ago, and he has been absolutely the, the greatest inspiration to me. I mean, I admired his sobriety. I admired his dedication to Alcoholics Anonymous. And... Uh, um, we're two totally different people. They say opposites attract. <laughs> but um, uh, it's only through the program that I've learned how to halfway treat him. When we got married, I put my boxing gloves on because I thought that's what you did. And he had to remind me very gently that he wasn't my enemy. Um, I was sober a year and a half, and uh, I, um, I, I didn't know how I was going to take care of those kids. And I didn't know how when that court was settled... Uh, what I was going to do. I mean, I was capable of making $5 an hour, but that wasn't enough to make that house payment if by chance I got it. And, uh, and, and you know, all of that was taken care of for me without any thought, without any forethought, without talking to my sponsor. Um, I just picked up the paper one day, and there, it, they were um, advertising for registration at West Virginia State College. I didn't even plan on it. And I called my daughter, and, and she started laughing. I said, will you go with me? And I went down, and... Uh, and I signed up for some classes. And um, four years later, I graduated from St. Mary's School of Nursing. And it was something I always wanted to do all my life and never thought it would ever come true for me. And it only came true. I can remember walking up that walk and looking over that doorway and seeing St. Mary's School of Nursing and saying, thank you, God. Thank you for my sobriety because I'd never be there if I hadn't been, you know. Um, I... Um, Right after I got out of nursing school, I, I took a sabbatical from Alcoholics Anonymous. And I decided that I didn't make a decision. I just worked a lot of hours. And my daughter, my youngest daughter, graduated from high school the year that I graduated from uh, nursing school. And uh, so I worked real hard because I wanted her to have an education too and worked a lot of hours. And I went to the bean dinner in November that we always have our gratitude bean dinner and, and I didn't come back to a meeting until the first of the next October. I worked and I used every excuse in the world. And I was coming home from work that morning. I always thought it was kind of neat. I worked midnights. And I, I think I think, you know, this is kinda neat. I get to stay out all night and get paid for it. <laughs> and I was coming home one morning and the girls on the floor kept asking me to go out and have a drink in the morning. You know, let's just go have a drink. And I said, no, nah, I don't drink, you know. 
But they, were, they kept on putting the pressure. And, you know, before long I was thinking, well, maybe I could just go with them. I don't have to drink. And uh, one girl said to me, she said, what's wrong with you? She said, did you go to the Betty Ford Center or something? <laughs> I said, not really. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, but, you know, that was becoming more enticing. I was coming home one morning, and I'll never forget topping that hill on Woodward Drive, and I thought, I was thinking, my last drunk, and I absolutely couldn't remember my last drunk. I could not remember those, that horrible last week. And I remembered what they told me in Alcoholics Anonymous, that if you couldn't remember your last drunk, you probably haven't had it. And I went back to Alcoholics Anonymous that night. And I have since then become very active in my home group, and I've tried to do what you all have told me. I worked the fourth and the fifth step, and it was only through those steps that I ever, ever had ever taken a look at myself. Um, you know, those children that were so afraid of me, uh, today, we have a wonderful relationship. Uh, I'll get notes that, Mom, I love you. You know, uh, the, uh, my, my youngest daughter's getting married next Saturday night. She's having a big church wedding. And, and uh, they said, can't you go up there on Saturday? I said, no, I made a commitment. And I know one thing, if I don't keep this commitment, I won't be able to keep commitments to them. I know that. And... Uh, um, but anyway, and I've been able to, you know, to actively participate with these children. My grandchildren have never seen me drunk, never seen me drunk. And I owe every bit of that to this program, people just like you sharing your experience, strength, and hope with me. Um, when I um, first uh, meeting, Grace took me to a meeting up at, um, oh, I think it was up Southern Kitchen, and this guy handed me a tape. And her, her name was Jerry, and I, I don't even have looked for that tape. I played that tape, I know, 150 times. I listened to it over and over. I let people listen to it who really did not care. But, and I just thought it was so neat. And I, I, Jerry said in that tape, she said, some of us can look at a hammer and know it's hard, and some of us can feel it and know it's hard, and some of us have to be hit over the head. And that's exactly the way I've been all my life. Um, when I came out of nursing, I don't know why, uh, I chose the path of oncology. And, uh, but, you know, I, so many good uh, examples have been put in front of me. I mean, God has showed me so many things. On our floor, we got in-stage everything. And uh, one night we got a patient. I just want to share these with you because they're real important to me. I'd heard old-timers talk about wet brains. And we got this patient, and he was admitted um, from one of the outlying smaller hospitals, and, and uh, they said for thrombocytopenia, the low platelet count. And when he came down the hall, they brought him on the stretchers. He was jerking and shaking, and, and we thought he was, you know, had a fever. And uh, one of the nurses looked at him and said, fever? And, and uh, the uh, ER, uh, the uh, attendant said, oh no, DTs. And we, you know, why are we getting him up here? Well, the guy did have a physical problem. Um, this, this guy was 32 years old. He was 32 years old, and when we released him, it, uh, it was about two weeks later, we had corrected that problem. But that guy had no idea where he was. He was absolutely a vegetable when it came to thinking. I mean, he had drank at, at that early age. I know today that there's not a sober, another sobering up for me out there. I, don't, I want to do whatever it takes, and I want to tell you something. This was a lot. 
when I, <laughs> this was a lie. But I'll do whatever it takes not to take a drink of alcohol because that could be me, but for the grace of God. We had a guy who came on um, the floor, and his name was John. And my sponsor always says, and it's really the truth, I mean, sometimes we don't talk about the horrible, horrible death that an alcoholic dies. You know, you can take drugs, and you can take enough drugs that explodes your heart, and it's over pretty quick. But if you die from active alcoholism, you don't die overnight, unless you get killed in a car wreck. And um, well, they brought John on the floor one night, and, and um, when I passed him the next morning, John was an active alcoholic. Abdom was so distended, they had a shine in it. Um, he was as yellow as, a, you know, orange as a pumpkin, and, and there really wasn't much left of him. And I said to the nurse, I said, he's not going to make it through the day. Well, you know, that was like three weeks later, they were passing John to me. And John didn't die like I thought he should, and, 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 you know, because he was dying from active alcoholism. And that takes a long, long time. And he, John, I don't know whether he drank up the financial means of the family, but this family cared about him. They loved him. They came every time they could, and I watched all of this. They came every time they could. And the, uh, if they didn't come, they called. And I thought, isn't this just a miracle? You know, because that's the way my family was. The big book talks about us going through people's lives like a tornado. And that's just exactly the way I ripped through my kid's life. But that boy still loved his dad through it all. And that wife still loved John. And um, the night that um, pretty, I was pretty sure John was going that night. And the family couldn't make it there. And uh, I went in and uh, uh, one of the nurses came in. She said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to stay with John. She said, I said, I think he's getting ready to go. She said, why are you doing this? And I knew why I was doing it. I was doing it because I know that loneliness. I know that horrible loneliness of alcoholism. And, uh, and sure enough, he went that night. That little 16-year-old boy called the floor. He wanted to know if anybody was with his dad and what he did. He still cared, you know? And so I thank God today, you know, that you people took the time with me that my kids didn't have to experience that. And if I keep coming back, I know I have a promise. I have a daily reprieve from alcoholism. Um, the, um, I left the floor about three years ago, and I went um, to hospice. And, uh, and that's where I am today. And um, God has put so many things in my path, and he's shown me so many examples. But I, uh, I've had the privilege of... Uh, uh, taking care of a member of our home group. And I considered that an honor and a privilege because, you see, what these people have shown me is not only can I live sober, but I can die sober, you know? Um, my first caseload at hospice was that uh, I got an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic. And I don't think it's by happenstance, you know? I think it's planned. And... Uh, and I, she was, she was real uh, kind of standoffish at first. And, and after, when I was going in to get to know her, and I told her, I said, uh, I shared with her that I was in the program. And uh, she, one day I went in there, and I visited her three times a week, and she said, you know, I told my sponsor not to worry. He said, me and my nurse said, we have three meetings a week. <laughs> and uh, and uh, um, I, I got to take care of another member of the program, uh, and that was... Uh, I was able to go in and share, and so, and that particular night, that that day, that guy gave me some real words of wisdom out of the big book. Uh, I went in to check Denny that day, and 
And uh, I knew in all probability it wasn't going to be long. And so I told his wife that. I said, you know, if you need to say anything or tell him anything, you need to uh, say it because he may be going into a coma. And she just started crying and she said, oh, dear God, Mary, she said, you've got to do something for me. And I said, what? And she said, they brought his 12-year chip over. She said, you've got to give him his 12-year chip. And I went in and, and I scooped him up in my arms and I said, Denny, I said, look what I have for you. This is your 12-year chip. And that guy smiled. I mean, he had a radiant smile on his face all the time. But he just smiled and I said, I hope someday I get one of those. And he said, you will if you just have the willingness and I believe that. If I just have the willingness to do the things that you all have showed me, the examples that you all have shown me. You know, uh, we look to our sponsors for examples, and, and she hasn't engulfed my life or tried to hoover over me. She has set an example for me to go out there and be able to work in the world and, and to get along with my coworkers. You know, we're in meetings. I'm in meetings three hours a week. I try to be at the meetings, and sometimes my job prohibits that. But uh, we have three meetings a week and when you work full time and have a family and I've got four grandchildren, three kids, and I've got Doug and, and, uh, and that's a full time job. <laughs> uh, it's hard to visit, you know, other meetings and, and I, think you have to, I think you have to be there for your home group. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's hard to get out and visit some of the other meetings that are around. And, um, and I think I just lost my train of thought there. But um, uh, anyway, so I, I feel like I don't think where I've been has been by happenstance. Um, I worried about, you know, I always wondered, you know, those first three years, you know, there was, I'll never forget my sister-in-law. Uh, she wrote Senator Byrd and Senator Wise about this alcoholic wife. And uh, I mean, it was not little things that happened. The uh, day we were going, I didn't ask for my children. I wanted them to pick wherever they wanted to live. And, and the day we were going to court, uh, because he wanted them, there was an article came out in the Charleston newspaper about me and, uh, and my life. And, it, you know, these were things, these were times, as I look back, was when my faith was growing, you know, that I didn't uh, pick up a drink. And because people took time with me. But nothing ever really happened much with my family. And... Uh, um, last December, I got a call. We always have a Christmas party, and we like for everybody in AA to come that can. And, and uh, I got a call, and, and my sister, I had been to the hospital to visit her. She had this one oldest sister. She was my oldest, and, and she had been being pretty nice to me when her paths crossed. And uh, it was her family. And uh, it was 5 o'clock, and everybody was supposed to come at 6, and they said all their, she had four children, and they asked me to uh, come to the hospital and talk to them. My sister had um, been diagnosed with pancreatic and ovarian cancer, and I knew when they brought her back from surgery, I, I knew that it wasn't going to be long. And I went up there, and I sat down. I was scared to death because these were people, all, all their, you know, their fondest memories were me drunk. And I went up there, and I sat down at that table, and they were all sitting there, and they said, we need your help. You know, and it was only because that I found Alcoholics Anonymous could I be a part of the solution. I was able to take her home, and I was able to put my arms around her, and I was able to tell her that I was sorry. And, uh, and I didn't know if I could do that. 
You know, I didn't know if I could even take care of my own sister, but I consider it a privilege today. And since then, there was other sisters that came and put their arms around me. And we may not be as close as we were one other day, you know, but in the previous or the past, but, you know, at least it's better. And I know that my sister knew beyond the shadow of a doubt when she closed her eyes permanently that I loved her. And I owe every bit of this to Alcoholics Anonymous. Doug and I have a good marriage, and, and my kids are, are doing as well as they can, you know, and, and they tell me they love me. And in my home group, you know, I heard a speaker down in, uh, at Fellowship by the Sea that talked about, uh, said it seemed like home groups were going by the wayside. If you're new in the program, you find a home group, and you let people get to know you. Because I could absolutely, you know, we were con artists. I was a con artist, you know. I could come in and make you think everything was okay. But, you know, when I come in and I tried to act like it was okay, those people in that home group knew better. You know, they knew better. And so, um, I don't, did I talk over? <laughs> but I'll... <laughs> You know, I do consider it an honor and a privilege, and I thank you all for, for uh, just being here for me, and uh, thank you very much.